Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. Joining me, as always, is Christopher Viscardo. Christopher, how are you doing? Just extremely happy that Peru won an important match, even if it was against Bolivia, and just ready to talk about it. Yes, as we all are. And also joining us yet again, back-to-back weeks here as we start the Copa America, is Diego Montalvan yet again repping the Japan jersey after their 2-2 draw with Uruguay today. So, Diego, how are you? I'm very well. I just want to let the people know it's a different jersey. It's not the same one. Just want to put that out there. Yes, fast background <laughs> report. This is like the 0206 version of the kit, whereas the last one was much much more recent. So <laughs> facts, people, facts. We, we got to get fashion, that out there. Fashion is important. <laughs> exactly. And that voice you heard is Diego's brother, Kevin Montalvan, or I guess, is Diego uh, the brother of Kevin Montalvan? You guys can decide. <laughs> Anyways, Kevin, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. It's great to be back and see Peru doing well. Come back with a, with a win. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's get into that one because Peru did get their first win of the tournament, three to one over Bolivia. Uh, and there were quite a few takeaways from this game, which we will get into. But briefly, as we have done in recent Peru matches, we will get our general thoughts out. So, Kevin, what did you make of this game for Peru just in general? I mean, the Peru games are usually a tale of two halves. But in, in this case, I think there was there was a decent amount of superiority from, from beginning to end, even though we ended stronger than we started. As far as the the result, it's, it's entertaining, it's enjoyable, it, it pretty much guaranteed us into the next round. The likelihood of us failing at this point is now very low um, as far as... The standout player to me, I want to say Zambrano's on the podium, penalty and all. From there, I got to say Guerrero. Guerrero, just, he's just a love story for Peru. Goal, assist, anytime we need, anytime we go down, he scores. Yeah, absolute certainty every time. Paolo, yet again, just when it looks like things are not going well, we, we miss that, I think, a lot. D- just... His ability to take over a game—it was—it it was really great to see him get on the score sheet and then provide the assist for the eventual winning goal. Viz, what did you think of the game? Well, like like I mentioned in in my introduction, I'm I'm just happy that we have won something for the points, you know, that is important in a major tournament. Uh, I think that the game against Australia was was very beautiful and and very meaningful. But, I mean, obviously we were already out. I think this game against Bolivia, we, we talked about last week about how if Peru didn't turn on the heat, it was just it was just going to seem like a mediocre effort. And Peru turned on the heat, even if it took a second, right? Had to get the, the embers cooking there for a little bit before things <laughs> actually got going. But uh, luckily Peru got there and and we had a, you know, a good, a solid three... 3-1 with that beautiful goal, goal from Oreja Flores right there just to put the, the cherry on top. Even with all of that, we we still have to remember, you know, that things aren't finished 
for us that we're not through yet, right? We have an important game coming up, and we've done all right games against two teams that are ranked what, like fiftieth and eightieth, you know, in the FIFA rankings. Yeah. Now, I mean, some some people criticize the FIFA rankings, but I'm just putting that out there that we cannot let it get to our head, and we need to remember that for us to be considered a great team, we we don't have to be afraid of facing the great teams like Brazil or whoever it is that we might get in the quarterfinals. And that Peru is still taking a while. It takes them a while to kind of get working as a team and get going. And to me, that's a little bit of a worry that because we tied and because we won has been somewhat ignored. Yeah, Bruce always seemingly been a second-half team under Gareca, which it wasn't too surprising for me to see them really turn it on in the second half. But in the, over the course of a tournament, especially when you're going to be playing against quality opposition, slow starts can hurt you, which I think we've seen in the past. Certainly at the World Cup, we experienced that firsthand. So let's see if, if that will change as Copa America continues. Diego, what did you think of the game as a whole? Yeah, I mean, just to go based off all of you guys, what you guys said, um, I'm starting to not like a lot more the fact that that we start off so slow, that we don't have that intensity in the beginning. I wonder why, you know, I wonder what we have to do to 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 begin like that, uh, to begin like we do the second halves, um, because obviously we all know what happened the second half. You know, we scored the two goals against Bolivia. It was great. But overall, just it was great to, to get that victory that – we needed to get, and also I think that based on what Viz was saying, that you know they're they're technically lower ranked teams. We should be beating them, so it's just good to claim those victories for sure. And I th- I could be wrong on this, but because certain places obviously record shots differently, but I think Peru only had like three or four attempts in the first half, which against Bolivia, that's pitiful. I'm sorry. Um, eventually they did turn it on, of course, but as a whole, that's, that's not encouraging at all. And I think if you want to go for it from a positive perspective, Peru's attacking numbers are actually a lot more encouraging. They're averaging more shots per 90 minutes at the tournament. Obviously it's only two games, but regardless, there has been an uptick in that department. They've conceded fewer shots, which I think they were always due for a bit of an improvement defensively, because I think I talked about this before the tournament started, they have been a little bit unlucky if you looked at the underlying numbers. And so far we're seeing that they're actually getting an improvement in that regard when it really matters. Uh, So that is the good news from there. Guys, obviously one of the biggest talking points, again, was VAR because Carlos Sembrano's handball, which I think most of us will agree that that was a very harsh decision, even though by the letter of the law, it is the correct one because of the recent changes made to the laws of the game. It was very unfortunate for not only Sambrano because he's had a very good tournament, which we'll talk about in a bit, but it was unfortunate for Peru because again, it kind of came out of nowhere and it put them on, on the back foot for a little bit until Paolo scored. So this one really stung because it obviously led directly to a goal against Peru as opposed to, goals being negated in favor of Peru. So with this happening, because I think we can all agree that 
VAR this tournament has been really, really poor in terms of the execution of it. We did actually get a question about this because I think in, in essence, guys, VAR looks like a good solution, but then there are problems because at the end of the day, human error can affect this. But we got a question from Karu at Karu underscore seven. And he said, I feel like a lot of people forget how forget our horrible past of calls against us in qualifiers that could have been corrected by VAR if it was implemented at the time. Just off the top of my head, I remember El Gol Anulado de Paolo versus Uruguay in 2005 and also El Gol de Palermo during Chemo's tenure. I hate the drawbacks of VAR, but the positives greatly outweigh the negatives. I'm not saying VAR would have helped us qualify sooner, but it would have corrected many injustices against Peru in the past. Just a thought. What do you guys think? So, Diego, I'll go to you on that one. What do you think about that? And then also, if you want to talk about the incident that happened against Bolivia, you may as well. I mean, yeah, I think, like you said, I think, I think, or like they said, I think VAR, for, the positives are, are outweigh the negatives, but it's just the way it's being imp- implemented, executed, the human error of it. And and I think the way that it's been it's been used, just like, uh, for example, today in the Uruguay game against Japan, that should have easily been a penalty for Japan, or at least they should have checked VAR, but they didn't. Why? I don't know. That's my problem with VAR. As far as the game, uh, Bolivia-Peru, the Sombrano incident, it was it was it a handball? Yes, technically it was. But is it, is it harsh? Yeah, because I, I feel like, you know, the way his body was moving, wh- where else is your hand supposed to go? That's just the way the body moves. Of course. So I, I think I think it was harsh, but it, it was a penalty at the end of the day. So Viz, I'll go to you on this one because there was an interesting tweet. I really wish I remember who it was from, but they talked about the differences between Conmebol's VAR system and FIFA's VAR system because we remember the World Cup, and for the most part, I think VAR went swimmingly. Uh, but in Copa America it has been nowhere near the case. And the tweet was mentioning these differences. Gomebol's VAR system, unlike FIFA's, has fewer screens and therefore less access to more replays and angles. Gomebol officials have to select what replay or angle to use with buttons and a joystick. That's not the case with FIFA, where they can basically just ask for an angle and it shows up on one of their 18 screens in front of them. Uh, On top of that, the 3D image generator, which is used usually to look at offside. Uh, it's a very quick process with FIFA system, not the case with Gombe Balls. Uh, and also the referees who are in charge of VAR in Gombe Ball have very little experience with VAR itself. So with all this said, do you think that with all these deficiencies in Gombe Ball's VAR system compared to FIFA's, should it be the case where every single VAR system is up to FIFA requirements and or up to FIFA standard. And until then, VAR should not be implemented at all. First of all, the amount of screens and the way that the system works, unless the person that tweeted this is literally like a FIFA employee that has access to both rooms and can see the equipment, it's a little bit hard to be able to judge which one is better and which one is more technologically equipped. I'm I'm assuming, though, that if Comebol is using VAR in the tournament, they are meeting the minimum requirements, right? Or else they couldn't have right. VAR. It's not. It's, so whatever it is that we're seeing at Comebol 
is at least the minimum requirements. It might not be the fully equipped, you know, 24 screens. Maybe we're down to, you know, eight, but it still should be enough. Uh, I, I think that part of the, the, the issue that we're seeing is that we're seeing the change in the rules, and then we're also seeing uh, VAR implementation all happening at, at the same time. And uh, it's making the fans confused. It's making the refs confused. And th that's kind of what's creating all of this chaos. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to give too much of an opinion on how many screens are are good because like, I've never been in a VAR room to be able to tell you what screens are good and what angles are good. But obviously technology, you know, more technology can only help. So therefore, in the end, I think that we just need more training and probably more patience. And uh, I think that overall it's positive. Also, just to just to talk about the, the question that uh, the the previous question about whether Peru would have benefited, it's easy to be selective when we talk about like what calls were against us in you know in the 2002 or 2006 qualifying campaigns. But there's probably also a good chance many times in which we have been benefited by the calls. the The problem with VAR is probably that, before you could say it was human error, right? But now because the computer's involved, then it's like, okay, you checked it twice and you still got it wrong. It, it makes those mistakes, those human mistakes, more obvious. And sometimes not even a committee can really solve those. And I think also calls tend to even themselves out over time as well, which I'm sure you know, Peru would have probably benefited from both sides of that coin. And plus, let's be honest, the teams were crap. There's no way they were going to qualify even with VAR. And if there was VAR, you know what? It probably would have been used even more against them. Who knows, right? Because this is Ball, South America's shady. Moving on from that to matters that actually happen in the game, the duo between Paolo and Jefferson Farfan, because they connected for the second goal. They obviously scored twice. Paolo was involved in the first two goals, as mentioned. Yet again, it's it, it's the two grizzled veterans for Peru that have kind of bailed them out here. Maybe a bit of a harsh term, but certainly made their presence known. So, Kevin, what did you make of them in that game specifically? Because I know myself at halftime, I was almost calling for Farfan to be taken out of the game because he didn't really look completely up for it. Better than the Venezuela match, but maybe not as sharp as I thought he would have been, but he shut me up completely. I agree. I agree. Um, I was on the same boat. I thought that Farfan wasn't the uh, the most effective choice in the first half. And I was, you know, options like Carrillo, Flores were certainly on the table for me, uh, especially since, since Gareca's kind of been involved in the national team. We've kind of seen Farfan kind of step back and we saw, you know, the, the growth of Flores, Cueva, Carrillo, and them just kind of jiving with, with Guerrero. So I've gotten accustomed to that. And and we've noticed since since the tournament started that he's changed the system. We threw a 4-3-3, a 4-4-2, and we've seen a lot more of Farfan. I think everything clicked together in this game. So we can we can all look at the game and say, you know what, they're great together. But I will. I do want to keep in mind that the the opponent right. was was one of the the weakest sides in this tournament. I'm sure 
there will be times in other games where it'll be possible to have them both together. But against a stronger opponent like, like say, Brazil, mm. we, might, we might not see that happen. We might see one or the other, depending on, on how Gareca wants to plant his game. Very true. Uh, we got a question on sort of the future of the national team because when you have a 35-year-old and a 34-year-old continually starting and producing, questions will be asked about how much longer can they maintain this. Now, obviously, in the case of Paolo especially, he's in great shape and will probably play at this level for probably another year at least, maybe two years, given the shape he's in. But Diego, Robbie C. at BN CEO asked us, will we see a move to younger players in the future, I assume, post-Copa America, or will Gareca fall into the trap on over-relying on older players like Paolo and Farfan? I think that's that's a tough question to answer for 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 at least for the forwards, right? Because as you see, as you see with the center backs, we've kind of gotten going with younger ones now. Except, you know, we brought back Zambrano for the experience, but Santa Maria, Araujo, Abraham. Are, are, I think Santa Maria is the oldest out of the three. With I think he's 26. Um, Abraham and Araujo are under 25. And so um, our midfield, you know, Tapia is young. So I feel like if we have the players and Gareca sees that he has the players that he can plug in, that he will definitely try and use them at some point in friendlies or whatever or bring them into the camps, to the tournaments, like I think he did Pretel, uh, just to get that experience. Unfortunately, right now... There's no young number nine that has that has that has shown or, or or been a bright spot that you could say, all right, I think you could give Guerrero, Farfang, or even Rui Diaz a, a, a competition right now. Well, listen, the way it's going, Diego, it looks like your son could be the future number nine of the Peruvian national team, to be honest. So, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, who knows? In 2034, it'll 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 be Xavi Montalban lacing up the boots for Peru. Nine goals in two games. I just want a little brag, a little brag. I mean, many more to come, I'm sure. So, um, Viz, want to briefly touch on the rest of the attack. Um, Edison Flores came off the bench again, changed the game, obviously got another crucial goal. I feel like this guy only scores pivotal goals for Peru, uh, which I tweeted out actually after the game. Like, I'm pretty sure all of the goals he scored in competitive games have been in some way crucial to the outcome of the match or to Peru's, be it qualification to the World Cup or to a tournament, uh, or through a tournament, excuse me. Do you think he has either maybe locked down that role as an impact substitute, or do you see him possibly starting more often as the tournament goes on here? I trust Gareca, okay? And, and, and I think we... We, we question a lot the changes because we we always want to see a starting 11. And there was a point in Gareca's tenure where you could almost, like, memory, you know, just recite all 11 players that would start for Peru. Um, I, I don't I don't think that's the case right now. I think we've lost a lot of, like, the, the little partnerships that made, made that starting 11 so, so concise, so automatic. And so, therefore, I think that it's a little futile to continue to try to make this exercise of maybe who is the left winger, who is the right winger. And and, and I think that we're going to continue to see a rotation. I don't think that Flores, need, we can label him as a super sub yet. I think that he has some healthy competition with people like Canchita Gonzalez. Uh, and so... 
I wouldn't be surprised. I, I honestly think that I wouldn't be surprised either way if we saw Florida's return for the next game and play 90 minutes or, you know, show up in the second half and play the last 30. I, I think that in the end, the final decision is Gareca is, you know, the one that sees them every morning during training and sees how they're doing and kind of keeps track of their numbers. And so the, the final decision will be that in the end. Just whatever Gareca feels is best for that game, depending on who we're going to face and depending on how how well they've been doing. Just a little tiny comment. Talking about number nines, I personally think we have to keep an eye out on Uriel Selly. We, we probably have to give him another three years, yeah. right, to see if he can consolidate himself in the national team. But to me, that's probably been like the only highlight of a forward in Peru in the last like two years. So, oh, yeah. other than the ones that we have in the national team, of course. Right. He has he has become a starter for Cantolao, so I'll keep my eye on him. Yeah. Bigger and better things from here on out, hopefully, for him. Actually, the under-17s have produced quite a few decent number nines, especially uh, Carlos uh, Ruiz especially, but we got to wait for him to break into a first team as well. But digressing from that, uh, let's go to Carrillo. Yet again, did not start. There have now been reports coming out that – he is not starting and or getting more minutes because of the fact that he is lacking fitness. Eddie Fleischman came out on Fox Sports Radio Peru, I believe it was yesterday, uh, so that would have been Wednesday, and basically said the reason why he isn't starting based on what he's been told is Carrillo, after going to Saudi Arabia, gained more body fat, became a little bit less stringent with his diet and his fitness, and we all know that initially when the move happened, Gareca was not a fan, but he still kept playing despite that. And he obviously started some pre-Copa America friendlies as well. So we got a question related to Carrillo and that those potential fitness fitness issues from Nick Forsman at MattMurr247 asking, is it true that Carrillo is not fully fit or else why is Gareca refusing to play him? I miss that Carincula duo from the World Cup. It was a thing of beauty. So, Kevin, what do you make of that report about Carrillo? And if you don't believe it, why do you think he isn't playing? Do you think it's just a matter of he lost Gareca's trust in some way and he's sort of, Gareca is waiting for Carrillo to kind of give him a reason to put him back in there for more time? I'm going to be realistic. I'm skeptical of reports like that of, you know, oh, you know, Gareca's mad at this player. Oh, he got, you know, he's le- he's not fit now when, you know, he hasn't really taken an injury, especially when we've seen things like uh, people were saying Hurtado is going to miss like the rest of the year. It was only right. a minor surgery. Zambrano is going to be out for the rest of the tournament. Right. He's only going to miss a couple of days. So I'm skeptical for reports like that. And I also don't think the Gareca would take a player to the tournament in bad shape and punish him, you know, by putting him on the bench or something. I do think that we've seen Gareca, this is his third Copa America. And in the prior ones, he started out players that he wanted to see, that he wanted to to give a chance to, like, like Joel Sanchez on the right wing. And then after two games, you know, he ended up on the bench. Cario took over for the rest of that tournament in 2016. We saw Hoberg starting on the right wing, two games, benched for Polo. Polo would continue on for the rest of that tournament. And I, I think 
especially considering our group uh, and the way that it was that it was set up the the draw. You know, first Venezuela, then Bolivia. There was was there was certainly potential to to see what what other players could do, like like Anchita Gonzalez, uh, Polo, and see how far or how useful they can be during the tournament. It's obviously a different you live it differently than you do a friendly. But I, I do think that we will see players like Flores and Carillo continue to see minutes, even start. They're not, I don't believe Gareca's punishing them. Fair enough. And I think that that's probably what it is. Um, look, end of the day, players can go in and out of a coach's quote-unquote good books or or and, and make their way on, onto the bad books, right? And then all of a sudden they get themselves back in just by working hard and training. Um, plus different games require different players, different game situations re- require different players. So that could be it. One quick kind of non-Copa America news story related to Carrillo that we'll touch on briefly before moving on to the rest of the Bolivia game. Uh, he was heavily linked to Flamengo today. Now he has also drawn interest from France but these Flamengo links, according to what you read, as well as actually sources who told us, it's apparently going to happen. Whether that's a loan or a permanent move, we don't know. Benfica is apparently asking for 15 million euros. So that might put Carrillo out of Flamengo's price range. So it could be possibly a loan. But assuming this does happen, which it looks like it probably will, Diego, do you think this is a good move for him, considering he goes from... You know, obviously the Premier League and, and and Portugal to Saudi Arabia now to Brazil. Right. Um, I mean, if 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 you take it if if it does happen, uh, I would take it more, you know, if comparing it to Saudi Arabia, I think Gareca and fans and all parties involved would probably be happy with him being at Flamengo and 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 playing there, right? right. Um especially with a coach that knows him, that's wanted him at like every team. Right. Um, obviously I think we, we, most of us want him to stay in Europe or go back to Europe. But um, as long as he has, you know, he's playing and he's got minutes and he regains his confidence and is at match fitness, then I think we'll be happy with that. Yeah, I certainly would be. Flamengo wouldn't be a bad move again for another year. He's still only 26, 27. So if he happens to have a good year of Flamengo, maybe he, he can eventually get that move back to Europe because doing well in Saudi Arabia is one thing. Doing well for a big club like Flamengo, especially in Libertadores, and if they can win the league, that's a whole other matter. So we shall wait and see on that. Going back to the Bolivia match, we talked about Carlos Zambrano, but he is injured. The injury isn't serious, but it looks like he will miss the Brazil game. We'll touch on replacements for that match later when we preview that game. But uh, what have we made of him so far now that he has played two games and in my eyes anyways, has marshaled the defense very, very nicely. Viz, what, uh, as really the the top Zambrano uh, critic from before pre-Copa America, or sorry, from before the Copa America among all of us, what have you made of him in the two games that he has started? Man, that, that's just mean. I just feel like I'm uh, I'm getting bullied over here. I'm just making me <laughs> my words, you know. Listen, it's fine. We, we all had doubts about Sambrano. I, I think we were just more accepting than, than than you were. Let's just put it that way. Sure. Yeah. It's it's, it's just that I I grew up with that terrible version of Peru. You know. Yes. As did I. Two thousand 
ten campaign, mm-hmm. and then that twenty fourteen campaign. Like both of those just scarred me, you know. And 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 some Sambrano's face is just a little, uh, yeah, it, it's just a, a symbol. You remember me, the red card against Chile? Exactly. I, I can't let go of that. You know, it's like or 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 Pizarro, just like oh yeah, the greatest Peruvian ever. He can't score with the national team, you know. Uh, but but anyways. To be fair, I I think he's going to be missed. My comments don't don't vary too much from those of last time. I think he's found a pretty good partnership with Abram, and I think he also contributes a lot to to the attack. So he's able to fill in some of those gaps. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll fine. I'll take it back. You know, I I, I think he'll be missed, and uh, hopefully, you know, this injury isn't too bad. Uh, that the so that we'll see him come back in the quarterfinals. If there's one thing that has been a little bit of a complaint is that all of a sudden he's gotten somewhat active on social media. I'm seeing yes. him tweet yep. a little bit. He did criticize like, VAR, so you know, and it's like uh, it's like I, I get it. I I personally think it shouldn't have been a penalty. I personally think it was completely natural for him to go like this. It was only it was natural. It was completely natural. In my opinion, it shouldn't have been a penalty. But it's like, look, man, go hit the gym. Go rest. <laughs> we don't need you on social media right now because when you do, then you're showing some of the tendencies that people were afraid of. Keep it chill. Keep it cool. You've had two good games. We need you. We want you. So just don't let it get to your head. Listen, if this is saying that we want you, Carlos, then that is genuine. Trust me. Because... You should have heard him before the tournament started. Anyways, you did kind of answer Robbie C's question about how much we will miss Sambrano, um, especially given, I think, what he has provided for the defense in terms of distribution, because him and Avram have looked very, very good on the ball. So that kind of leads into another very good question from Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81, asking, why do you think Gareca no longer sees Anderson Santamaria as a starter? Is it his tendency to try and dribble out of defense rather than pass it out? Possibly one of the reasons why Carlos Asquez was eventually discarded. So, Kevin, what do you think about that? Is that the reason why, potentially, Santa Maria is maybe lower on the depth chart? I think Santa Maria has done well uh, since, since his appearance in the national team. He's had some standout performances. I think in the World Cup he, did very, he handled himself very well. But I, I do want to keep in mind that before Santa Maria, back in 2016, Gareca was looking at Abraham when he was still in Cristal, and he, and he saw a lot of potential. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, I trust el ojo del tigre. The eye of the tiger hasn't, hasn't failed as yet. And I think that Abraham is moving to Velez. He's been there for a year and a half, I think. Yep. And and he's just done very well. He just he just keep he keeps growing. He's held himself very well alongside you know someone with experience like Zambrano. They're just taking care of business. So I I think that Gareca sees a higher potential in Abram to become you know a starter for Peru and and continue on. But that doesn't mean that Santa Maria has done something wrong or anything like that. It's just preference of the coach. I, I personally am, am pretty pretty happy with our center back selections at this point. We're pretty strong. I'm not worried that, oh, no, 
Uh, Abraham's hurt. I don't know who's gonna be. I don't know who's gonna be up next. <laughs> like the old days, <laughs> just like the old days. Exactly. That's that's the thing too, because Abraham and you mentioned a great point. He's 22, 23 years old. He's probably going to be going to Europe very soon. The only reason why he hasn't gone yet is because Gabriel Hinse basically told the club, "Don't sell him yet." because he maybe needs an, another six months to a year to really come into his own. And it now looks like, especially after the Copa America, I'm sure the links will be there. And on top of that, if Zambrano goes down, Miguel Araujo is probably the next man up because he has a little bit of familiarity next to Abraham. Did the partnership work out very well in the two pre-Copa America friendlies? No, but the chemistry is there and that's important. And that's unfortunate for Santa Maria, but the fact that there are four very capable center backs on this squad, that only bodes well for Peru, and it gives Gadeca options too in future games. So wrapping it up until we move on to the Brazil preview, we did see some issues which Diego talked about off the top when it came to the attack, really until Paulo opened the scoring kind of settled the nerves, but we saw that yet again, Peru were very left side heavy when it came to their buildup and attack. And Bolivia, I think, as any team really has done against Peru, who like to kind of sit back and concede possession to Peru, really made it easy to defend against. And in general, I thought that they actually looked decently comfortable in the first half until, of course, Peru eventually got the breakthrough and then took the lead through Farfan. So... Diego, is there a way that Gareca can maybe change this attack for games where Peru are expected to control the vast majority of the game? I mean, yeah, he can change it. We obviously have, I think we have the, the personnel and the, and, and the depth now, you know, uh, with the options that we have in attack with Flores, Carrillo on the bench in the last games, Canchita. It just all depends on how Gareca wants to go about it. I wanted, you know, based on what you were saying on how it was left side heavy, uh, I think that it was because the the, associ- the association between Advincula and Polo is not the same as as uh, Carincula. Right. Right. So, yes. Yes. so so I think if Carrillo would have started or would have been or would have played, I think that it might have flowed more to the right because of that. True. But that's 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 the great thing that we have options and i guess we just have to trust in gareca i guess so maybe i should just shut up and and move on to the to the brazil preview how about that so we'll preview the brazil match we'll talk first about the potential changes that might come but let's get a general look at this game in terms of how gareca could approach this so viz how do you see gareca going at brazil do you see maybe them conceding possession and, and kind of doing what Venezuela did and just kind of absorbing the pressure and seeing what they can do on the counterattack? Or do you foresee something different? First of all, being someone that lived through the whole calculator in hand generation, it's I, I'm not of the opinion of that some people have had that it's like, oh, no, we're, we're through. We should just take it easy, rest everybody, you know, get ready. Uh, no, we, we, we need to go out there. And we need to have the same mentality that Venezuela had. So, yes, I, I think a somewhat of a similar strategy uh, w- would be beneficial uh, for Peru. And uh, even one point, even one point will, will really secure us our 
us uh, going through to the next round. And I think that that right now is what's most important. Like you said, there needs to be some, maybe some tweaks to the system. I think that Peru, personally also think that Peru was kind of too spread out. I think it can be more compact, a little bit more compress itself a little bit more, you know, mm -hmm. and that could really, really play in its favor. Uh, because when we're too spread out, obviously, then that gives plenty of room for the enemy to to hit us hard, hit us on the counters and whatnot. And that is something that we don't want to do against Brazil, especially. But uh, if, if you if you play if if you play things just right, a little bit more of a compressed team, and and kind of use that Venezuela strategy, like you were mentioning, Peter, then I, I think that something could something could happen. I mean, some something meaningful uh we could get something meaningful out of that game yeah and sort of as a follow-up to that i'll ask kevin this we've seen brazil in both of their games so far they almost tense up and look even more nervous the longer they go without scoring and the fans sort of get on their backs they start whistling them booing them so with all that being said do you think that something similar could happen if Peru are able to frustrate them much like Bolivia did for that first half and then what Venezuela did for all those 90 minutes. Yes, I definitely think we, we could run into a situation similar to, to the Peru-Brazil game in, in the Copa America 2016. Um, no handballs aside, we, we frustrated the hell out of them you could see it. They they were very dangerous. They had created a lot of chances in that game, but they were like Peru versus Denmark. They nothing was going in. <laughs> and I I think psychologically we we could push them in that direction. We'll we'll see more in the following days as as Gareca, you know as we start seeing the lineups and training and whatnot. I I think we'll see a, a side that's prepared to defend more encounter. In this in this situation, especially since we do try to uh, assure ourselves the first half is as close to a clean sheet as possible, and from there try to create danger. Uh, depending on who's up front, you know, could be Guerrero Farfan, Guerrero Cueva. I think we've seen in a, like a four four one one something like that. And I mean, maybe maybe put in uh, Polo and and Rui Diaz at the end to see if they. Uh, we Oof. give that psychological effect. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Allison was in goal that day, so maybe seeing them come on will trigger some some memories for him. You know how he has the comebacks against Barcelona? On the other side, he also has the uh, Rulidius handball goal that maybe might fester in, in the back of his mind. Who knows? Let's go around the table and talk about the potential 11 because we know that Carlos Zambrano is going to probably miss this game. So we were asked by... Sergio Branco Rivera at Sergio Branco 10 asking who would be the best replacement for Zambrano against Brazil. So we'll start with you, Diego. Who would be the best replacement for Zambrano in this game? I think Araujo, just like we talked earlier and you mentioned earlier, Araujo has the 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 most uh the best chemistry with, with Abraham. On top of the fact that Abraham is a left-sided player, Araujo is a right-sided player. Santa Maria usually plays on the left as well. So I just think it's it's a no-brainer to put Araujo and Abram together. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, Viz, what do you think? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, that Araujo 
and Abraham is a partnership that Gareca continues to work on. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, some part of me would still like to see Santa Maria playing, but I, I think it's obvious that, that Araujo is going to be the replacement for Zambrano for this game. Kevin, would you agree with that as well? Yes, I think Araujo will have to step up for this game. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the situation here. Now, Diego did mention that Santa Maria is mainly a left-sided player. He has been on the right for Atlas and, and Puebla, but with Peru predominantly on the left side, and he is left-footed, so... And I think Garek understands that. He doesn't really want to mix things up too much. And the fact that Abraham and Araujo do have that chemistry, I think that's important. Plus, you also got to keep in mind, Tapia and Yotun are going to be in much better form now compared to the friendlies. So maybe that makes a bit of a difference as well. So let's talk about the other changes that could potentially happen. Because based on reports, the only other potential changes to Gadeca's 11 will be the wingers. Viz, who do you see, assuming that the wingers are changed, who could you see starting out wide for Peru? I think that Carrillo is a very disruptive player. I think that he can, when he says prime, when he's inspired, really give you some interesting options. I think Polo is usually a little bit of a safer option. If if there's a game where I could see Carrillo starting, uh, I think it would be against against Brazil. You know, we, we need the points and we need something a little bit more disruptive that's probably going to keep the defense on their toes. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that Carreca has tr- lost trust in, in Carrillo. So therefore, yeah, I, I would I could totally see him starting or at least playing one of the halves. Uh, on the other side, I man, I, I like Gonzalez. I personally really like Gonzalez. Yeah, and and that's kind of what I would like to see. But um, I do get that you could be sacrificing Cueva if that's the case. I don't know how how comfortable Cueva feels in that role, honestly. But uh, I I like Gonzalez. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I, I think the obvious answer is going to be Cueva, but, you know, maybe Gonzalez jumps on. So if you think that Gonzalez starts, you don't think Cueva moves to the 10? You just think he gets dropped completely back to the bench? Interesting question. I guess it's like, do you keep for fun? I mean, like, how else do you, how do, how else do you like, reaccommodate everyone? Because you can't have 12 players. So, yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you move everybody else around? And I think that that for fun... Paolo partnership is clicking, you know, and that's that is also very crucial. That is also very interesting. Mm. Uh, so a little bit of a tough question. For me, it, it's it is tough because Cueva in a counterattacking system, I think, does really, really well. But then you also don't want to mess with the chemistry that Farfan and Paolo have developed. But then you also wonder. At the same time, Farfan has the experience and the intelligence, and he has the vision. I mean, that pass he made for Cueva against Venezuela, um, like in the first 10, 15 minutes, I was like out of my seat, like, oh my God, that was unbelievable. Just the the incisiveness that he had. Um, might not hurt if he, if he plays in the 10 role. So it's nice that Gareca, yet again, has options in that position. So, Diego, what do you think Gareca will go with in terms of his wingers if he does happen to change them? Peter, let me tell you, I've been stumped with this question all day. And the reason reason why is because I thought about it this way. If we go with wingers, if we play a 4-2-3-1, I'm thinking thinking it would be Flores and Carrillo, right? This is what I think. But then everywhere I read, you don't want to drop Farfan 
or mm-hmm. they want to keep Guerrero and Farfan. So if you keep Guerrero and Farfan, I'm thinking, all right, it may be a 4-4-2, right? Mm-hmm. And if you play a 4-4-2, Tapia Yotung, obviously, in the middle. Mm-hmm. Then on the sides, who who do you play? Maybe Canchita and Carrillo? Maybe – I just don't see Cueva on the – Cueva can play on the left-hand side, not to say he can't, but I think he's much more of use in the, through the middle. So – that that's where I'm stumped with. But uh, if 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 I had to go with wingers, if we played a four two three one, I think it'd be Carrillo and Flores back. So let me ask you a follow up to that because we did get a question about Carrillo from Patrick Melgar at Patrick Destar twelve, asking, um, is Carrillo coming off the bench the preferred move? Seems like there was good chemistry with Cueva and Farfan on the wings, but would it be different with? Brazil's speed if Carrillo started. So, so what do you think about that? Well, see, yeah, there's there's another thing you have to think about Brazil's speed. So, in that case, do you bring Polo in because you know that Polo is going to come back and help defend when Advincula leaves that space to go up? That's it. May be the move. It may be the move. Yeah, but I don't know how Erika's doing it right now. Yeah, I I honestly don't envy coaches who have these dilemmas because no matter what you decide, there are positives and negatives, and that's part of the reason why I never want to get into coaching because I just can't deal with that stress. I'm sorry. So Kevin, what do you think about the winger situation? Who do you see starting for Peru out wide provided Gareca does change things? I'm going to, I'm going to say that Gareca achieves something that that we, we hadn't seen in a while. And that's, he's unpredictable at this point. There's, there's so many options, combinations. My personal preference would be, Cueva, Carillo, okay. Guerrero, Farfan up top. Okay, interesting. I think that could work too, um, especially if Cueva and Farfan interchange and whatnot. I think it could be decent. So let's move on to another listener question from Robbie C at BNCEO asking, what does Ruiz have to do to get off the bench? Because it looked like he was going to come on against Bolivia, but then obviously Sambrano goes down with, with that injury and then Araujo has to come in. So, Diego, what do you think Ruiz has to do, if anything, to get some minutes even off the bench? I personally think Ruiz deserves a, a shot, and I think I said it in the la- last week's pod where I really would want to see him play with Guerrero and play off each other in a 4-4-2. Um, so if we stick with the 4-4-2, hopefully you know, he gets a shot because I, I think he he did he's done well with, with his club, Seattle Sounders, and I think he could try and bring something. Yeah, I think so. I agree with that as well. Viz, a question for you, which I think is a bit of a doozy. We'll, we'll close it off with a doozy uh, because Robbie asked us, kind of looking at the classic Peruvian point of view, the pessimistic point of view, mm-hmm. um, will not making the knockout round cost Gareca his job or does he have enough goodwill to survive until the end of this World Cup cycle? Gareca it's been a year since the world cup. It means that he still has has another 35 years of credit. Okay. (laughs) He has 35 (laughs) years of credit. People just need to get that. Okay. I I know it's hilarious to say it like that, but I I honestly believe it. There was a question earlier in, in the, in the podcast about, uh, you know, is he going to, is he going to start sticking to older, you know, players and fall into that, you know, obviously there was a reset, at the Copa America Centenario, right? Mm-hmm. That was necessary. And then from there, 
we see him slowly tweaking, you know, the team as needed, little by little, maybe with the biggest question being that the number nine, the forward, the next Paolo Guerrero being the unanswered question so far. But other than that, let's, I mean, every everybody else has moved around and everybody else has given their spot to a new player and things have still worked out fairly well, not perfect, but fairly well. And so therefore, I think that the reason that some might be asking this is because we're just not used to this. You know, we're used to like a new coach every three or four years. And, but just little thing, you know, little word of advice. Uh, this is how soccer works. The longer you give a coach and if you're able to trust them and if he's able to renew that trust like Areca has shown us to do, then he can stay on as long as Tavares can stay on for all I care. For all, as long as Tavares has been on for all I care. So, no, I, I think he has plenty of credit. And I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think Areca is just fine. He'll survive 2022. Uh, and we'll see from there. Yeah, and the other angle of it too is if he goes, who comes in? <laughs> like, yeah, there's there's honestly uh, no capable replacement like Gareca to replace him, right? That's that's not a question I even want to think about. Yeah, at least not yet. Yes, you know. Yes, then let's it, wait you, till. You could argue Solano, maybe. maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that it'd be great for Peru to start developing local coaches. Seeing Solano step up would be interesting. Uh, if you really want to like think about that question, but I, I'd rather not. Honestly, yeah. let's let's let it be for now. Yeah, let's wait three years from now when and note the mm-hmm. when Peru makes the World Cup. Okay, let, let's just worry about after that <laughs> in, instead, and uh, let Solano handle the Panamericanos and see how he does there, and maybe he will have a future in coaching as well. So that'll do it for the show. Uh, you can follow me at Galindo PW. You can also follow the show at Peru Waltz. You can get all your latest Peruvian football news there. And Viz, where can the people follow you on Twitter? And if you have any shout outs, now is the time. Yeah, my shout out is to Diego again, just representing. He was quoted in uh, El Comercio, I believe, because of a tweet. He's, he's right on top of the ball. For the latest news, follow Diego Montalban. <laughs> in the meantime, you can follow me at VIZ underscore FC. Yes. And Diego, where can people get the latest news from you on Twitter? Um, at D Montalvan. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. And Kevin, where can people follow you on Twitter? You, they can follow me at KMontalvan7. Excellent. Excellent. So that'll do it for the show. Everybody, enjoy the Brazil game. Try not to faint too much or have any heart palpitations. I know I probably will, but until then, this is the Peruvian Waltz team and we are signing off.